Good morning again. Turn to John chapter 3. We'll begin our look at this chapter of John, the Gospel of John, probably one of the most quoted portions of Scripture. We'll spend several weeks here in this chapter. And the main crux of this, which is the main crux of all of Scripture, really, is that our own works are insufficient for us and that we rely solely on the work of God himself to save us. And so as we look at this and as we get into this text, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help with that. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, as we study this story from your life here on earth, we pray that you would help us to see that it is your life and your work and your righteousness alone that enable us to be saved, that enable us to praise you, that enable us to do good things and even open these pages and read them and understand them. Because we recognize them to be spiritual things. We recognize them to be things from above. And so we still, we still need your help. Because sometimes we would readily cast them aside for our own truth. And so we pray that you would help us to do that. That you would convict us of our sin so that we might see these words clearly. That you would open our hearts and our minds. That you would make us wise to understand the truth from your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One of the things that I love about a story, and actually call that I would say this is what makes a good story, is some kind of plot twist at the end, where you're like believing one thing, believing one thing, believing one thing, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's this completely different thing going on. Some of my favorite movies have those really cool plot twists at the end of the movie where you're like, oh, wow, he was really this or that. And so I don't want to say anything so I don't want to give any movies away. But you guys can all think about the movies that do that or a certain kind of book that does that where the author leads you along this path and then kind of turns everything on its head and everything all of a sudden becomes clear to you. And those are good, I think, because it helps us to rethink the entire story from this different point of view altogether. You know, if you read like a five-book series and the, the fifth book opens up the other four for you, you, you all know how that feels. It's like, wow, I can, see, I can see everything really clearly now. So in our passage today, one of the characters in the story is going to encounter this kind of plot twist in his own life. We're going to meet a man named Nicodemus today. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he believed, like any good Pharisee would, that he must earn his way to God through pious living and through doing good deeds. And that man's status before God depends directly on his own ability to sustain that relationship through his piety, through his own sincerity and worship, and through his impeccable character and impeccable living. So in walks Jesus, and Nicodemus' life is turned on its head with this major plot twist in his life. 
And Nicodemus asks two questions of Jesus in this passage, and it's from those that I want to get the main points. First, we must be born again. And secondly, God alone has the ability to make that happen. So as we come to this text, the text John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, let's stand together as we read God's word. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If you were told earthly things and you do not believe, how can you then believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As, and as Moses lifted up the servant, or serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Amen. This is God's word. Be seated. So a couple of ideas here. Um, You've probably all heard this text preached before. And a couple of the points that people make when they preach on this text, and it's not necessarily wrong or right, but I just want to make them up front. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and a lot of ink has been spilled on why Nicodemus chose the night to come to Jesus. Maybe he was afraid of his reputation and wanted to go to Jesus so that he wouldn't be seen by the people. You know, he's a Pharisee going to Jesus. Pharisees are supposed to be enemies of Jesus. Uh, Maybe that's it, and he didn't want his uh, reputation tarnished. Or maybe it's just that he's so busy. During the day, Jesus also being very busy during the day, that this was the right time to come to him at night. Um, I don't think it's a lot to make much of here. There probably is a real reason for that. I'm sure there is. We just don't know it because the text doesn't really tell us. Other than to say that he did seek him at night, and he was alone. At least Nicodemus was. We don't know if his Jesus' disciples were there with him, but Nicodemus seems to be alone here for whatever reason. And this is interesting coming after chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. And let me read that again real, real quick. 
Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when, he, when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not, entrust, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people. And no one needed to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So, Nicodemus makes a statement to Jesus about all the signs that he had been doing. You know, kind of points to this same idea. Probably just the courteous greeting to Jesus. Or maybe it was a bit of a concession on the part of Nicodemus kind of saying, Listen, I I know there's something different about you. That's for sure. We don't know who you are. But what we do know is what Jesus says next makes an assumption on the heart of Nicodemus rather than his words. And so it really brings true to this fact there in 25 that he needed to, no one needed to bear witness about man for he knew what was in man. And so Nicodemus comes and he kind of has this nicety about him, but Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter, which you see this over and over again in the New Testament, whereas Jesus just kind of cuts the chase, he cuts to the heart, and he gets right at the question. And so Nicodemus again says, and that brings us to the first point, Rabbi, or that we must be born again. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Again, there's all of this, this nicety about Nicodemus. It says Nicodemus was a Pharisee. There was no one more devout or had the appearance of being devout than the Pharisees. They lived this pious life, as pious as one could live. They lived by the law. They even dressed up the law a little bit, as it were, to make themselves even look more holy. The way they did this was one of the things to being a Pharisee is not only did you hold to the first five books of the law, but you held to this oral tradition as well that they believed that God's word went beyond the written word and that these oral traditions actually spelled out the application of God's word. And so, of course, they were keepers of this, and they saw themselves as much more holy than the average person who didn't keep these oral traditions. And you kind of see some of this as you read through the, the Gospels, and you see these weird restrictions that they place on other people. This had to do with their own oral traditions. And so they had this appearance of being very lofty, very holy men. And so when Nicodemus comes with this statement to Jesus about these signs, Jesus sees right through the facade. Again, he cuts through these niceties, and he gets right to the point. And he says this, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the Pharisees believed in life after death. They believed that God would judge the wicked. And they believed that by sending them into eternal punishment, and they also believed that the righteous would inherit eternal life, which sounds very similar to our own beliefs, other than the fact that they believed that they had to drum up their own righteousness in order to get to God. They believed that in order to see the kingdom, 
one must be as good as they were. Because they were the epitome of righteousness, and as far as they were concerned, everyone should follow after them in this way. And so Jesus offered a much different idea as what it meant to be to inherit eternal life. One must be born again. And so Nicodemus has this question. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And if you think about it, Nicodemus' question is a very fair question. It's indicative of how we would all feel, probably, in his context. What do you think, or what do you mean, be born again? You know, I think we like to look at this question, maybe poke fun at Nicodemus a little bit here, because it seems silly, or maybe it seems like a smart answer to Jesus, like he's trying to, to get back at him, or something like that, because... We've been around this type of terminology our whole lives. I've been, I've heard be born again my whole life. And so to me, it seems silly that Nicodemus would ask that kind of question. We've heard born again. Even non-Christians hear this term born again, and they kind of get an idea of what it means, at least connected with Christianity. They have a basic, basic understanding of what it is. And so Nicodemus has no idea what he's talking about. What do you mean? enter into the mother again and be born as an adult, that seems really strange. And so Jesus reiterates his statements with some addition. He says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So unless one is born of water and the Spirit. I'll start by saying that this is a difficult passage, and I stand with many in the Reformed tradition and of the not-Reformed tradition that would agree with that statement. This is a difficult passage. Many bright theologians and biblical scholars that struggle with this. Many have come to this passage, and so what I'll do is give you a couple of possible explanations and kind of tell you where I'll lay down at. Um, some have stated, well, this is obviously a passage about baptism. It mentions water. And then they'll go so far as to say, well, it obviously means that unless one is born of water, meaning raised up out of the water, that he cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so they'll go so far as to say, well, unless one is baptized, then they can't be saved. Well, the trouble with that is that the rest of Scripture, and even the rest of this passage, disagrees with that. And so we really can't go there. And the fact that no one said anything about baptism up to this point other than John the Baptist. And so we really can't can make those connections. They're, they're just not there. Um, you could maybe connect this to John the Baptist's baptism. But again, I, th I don't think it's a very good connection because there's nothing else really said about baptism. And it seems as if Jesus, because baptism is a New Testament idea, that maybe we would see something about that extra here, other than just the word water. Others have said maybe that this birth, that one must be born of water and the Spirit, is pointing towards our physical birth. That one must be actually physically birthed. And you know the, the process there with the water breaking and all of that business. And then born again, spiritually born. And I see that a little bit, but I think that's probably asking a little bit too much of the text as well. 
And so where I've come down is, if you remember, Jesus, Jesus is a Jewish man. He's talking to a Jewish man. And both Jesus and Nicodemus are very trained in the Old Testament scriptures. And over and over again, in the Old Testament, what do we see water being used as? And water as a symbol of cleansing. It's as a cleansing agent. And what I think Jesus is saying here is that water is being used as a cleansing agent. And not just like cleaning the hands or cleaning your feet or whatever, but actually cleaning us from within. Cleansing us from within. Washing our sin away. But not just having your sin washed away. One must be born of water. One must be pure. But also one must be born of the Spirit. One must be renewed in that way. And if you consider the Old Testament passages, we read one this morning from Ezekiel 36 about having the new heart and cleansed in our new hearts. From Joel, where the Spirit's cleansing the heart of man, not just a one-time deal, but an eternal kind of deal. I tend to agree that what Jesus is talking about here is that unless one is cleansed of their sin, and unless their heart is made new, then they cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Which totally goes with the idea of what we understand being born again to mean, and also matches with the rest of the context here. However, I'll also say that I'm not sure that that's correct. Um, and so I, I don't really know what he means when he says born of water and the spirit. So that's what I think is correct, and it seems to point towards that, but I'm willing to learn as my position has changed on this over the years. So uh, that's just, just, just to say, but I really do feel like the text points towards this idea of cleansing not only from our sin, but also our hearts as well, totally cleansed. And you see this idea of being born of the Spirit there in verse 7. <clears throat> That, you know, do not marvel that I said be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. Uh, and so it is everyone who is born of the Spirit. He doesn't say water in the Spirit again. He just kind of sums everything up by saying the Spirit. And so why does this bother Nicodemus? Because up to this point in his life, what did Nicodemus believe about salvation? He believed that it was all up to him, that he had to be a good guy, that he had to walk unlike others, that he had to follow this unwritten code and do it exactly as he was told to do it and exactly how the Pharisees had been doing it all along. And now he's being told that it's all about the work of the Holy Spirit of God, changing the heart, being born again. His piety, his ability to maintain a high standard of morality and personal purity when it comes to his standing in the, in the kingdom of God actually means nothing. He must be born again. He must be cleansed by the Spirit of God, which is totally not about him, but about the will of God to save whom he will. The wind blows where it wishes. I love how Jesus says this. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it is from or where it goes. 
who knows the Spirit of God. So is so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This is all about the will of God, not about the will of Nicodemus. And so we had to ask ourselves, why does it bother us? Because we're just like Nicodemus in that we would love to decide the terms of our own salvation. Because we would make them fit us. We would make them fit something that we're good at. We don't really believe that we're that bad at the end of the day. And I think this doesn't come out when we talk about ourselves. I think we're, we're quick to say, yes, I'm a sinner and I get that. But I think it comes out somehow, sometimes in the way that we view the sins of others. Because it's really easy for us to say that other people, it's really easy for us to say, look at other people and say, well, look, they're kind of bad. And then look at ourselves and say, oh, not, not too shabby. And again, we would never say something like, well, good works save me. We would never say that. But I think we readily would think someone else is going to hell because of their lack of good works and think that we're going to heaven because of ours. So remember, Jesus alone is the righteous one. And it's only through his death that we experience the cleansing and renewal that the Holy Spirit brings. We must be born again, is what Jesus says. Meaning, in Christ, our lives are completely new. We have a new nature. The old man is gone. The new man has come. You read these these um, these surveys that you see, you know, the Barna surveys, where they'll like have these different categories. And are you you're a an unbeliever, an atheist, a Christian? And then there's another category called born again Christian. And people will mark just Christian, but not born again Christian, as if it's something totally different than a regular Christian. No, all Christians are born again because Jesus says. You must be born again to inherit the kingdom of God. So, search your heart. You can really see what a person believes. You can really see what a person believes about the gospel by examining how they think others should be saved. If you think you're the only righteous one, like the Pharisees, then this passage should serve as a reminder to you that Jesus is the only righteous one. Brothers and sisters, at best, we are recovering Pharisees. At best. Sometimes we're just right in the middle of them. But at best, we're just recovering Pharisees. And we are in need of his forgiveness. So let's not forget that. <clears throat> and last, the second point is that God alone has the ability to make us born again. I love Nicodemus's question here. How can these things be? I mean, hopefully we would be sitting there thinking the same thing. How can these things be? This doesn't make any sense. He had just experienced this ultimate plot twist in his life. He went from seeing himself as righteous to seeing himself as secondary to his own salvation. That's a big turn of events. Jesus' answer is very good. I love the way Jesus answers this. Are you the teacher in Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Are you the teacher in Israel, and yet you do not get this? You know, as a teacher, I'm expected to know my subject. If someone comes in and asks me a question about biology, I'm like, you know what, that, I just, 
I don't really get that stuff. That would not really bode well for me as a professional. I need to know what I teach because people have questions. I need to be considered an expert in my field. And so Nicodemus was an expert in his field. He would have known the Old Testament unlike anybody we've ever met, frontwards and backwards. He would have particularly known the first five books of the Old Testament very well, probably been able to quote most of them. Yet Jesus points to his inability to believe rather than his lack of knowledge. Points to his inability to believe rather than his lack of knowledge. No one believes on their own by themselves. He says, he he goes over this over and over again. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. We don't know until he makes us know. God is sovereign, and it's his free choice to save whom he will. And Nicodemus is unable to be good enough or to believe enough on his own. He needs direct intervention from the Spirit of God. And then he even says, No one has ascended to heaven except for the one who descended, and that's the Son of Man. Jesus alone is able to be righteous. Jesus alone is able to make it on his own merit. And I love how Jesus finishes this story. He says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So turn with me to, keep your finger there, and turn with me to Numbers 21. Speaking of the Torah, Nicodemus would have known this story. So let's look at the story, starting at verse 4. I'm going to read this story. It's fascinating. 21 verses, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Remember I said how the Lord gets right to the point. Well, listen to this. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses, and they said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he takes these serpents away from us. So Moses prayed to the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made the bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Pretty fascinating story. Here the people are, they come out of Egypt, they complain, and so the Lord sends fiery serpents among them. Who knows what that is? A fiery serpent. And they bite the people, and lots of people are dying. And so Moses according to the instructions of the Lord, who had just got through sending fiery serpents among the people, 
Now he's saving the people. Raise up this bronze serpent. Whoever looks at it, they will live. And so what does Jesus compare himself to? That bronze serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. And so what does he then compare Nicodemus to? The people who complained. The people who said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to die? Because aren't you, don't you know that as, as Nicodemus read Numbers 21 his whole life, he thought to himself, how could they be so stupid? Why would they complain? Didn't they just see the Red Sea put on its end? Didn't they just see all the plagues? Didn't they just see the army of Egypt destroyed? Didn't they go out every morning to their to outside and get food? Didn't they see the works of the Lord right in front of them, yet they didn't believe? And Nicodemus stands in front of the very Son of God and doesn't believe. Brothers and sisters, we are among those who would have complained as well. We are among those who would deserve to have the fiery serpents of doom come around us and bite us so that we could die. We cannot fix ourselves. We cannot fix ourselves for our own salvation. We cannot fix ourselves even for our sanctification. Jesus Christ alone is our healer. Even after we're Christians, we depend on him for our sanctification. Now, that doesn't mean that we can live as we please and throw caution to the wind, but he helps us to live as he would have us to live, as we ought to live. And we are free, this is the best part, we are free to mess up and to figure out what it means to be born again. You know, you think about this, this little baby, little baby Audrey, who's learning to eat right now, who's learning to like sleep at a normal time when most people sleep. She's learning the things that we take for granted. Why? Because she was just born a few days ago. She's got a lot to learn. She's going to learn to talk. She's going to learn to walk. She's going to learn to do all sorts of things over the next year. It's going to be incredible. A new baby isn't able to feed itself, isn't able to walk, isn't able to talk. And so why would we think that a Christian who was dead in their trespasses and sins, who was dead on the rights by these bitten by fiery serpents, who was in the valley of dry bones as a corpse, unable to save themselves, why would we think that over the course of our lives we should be perfect and walk perfectly and have everything all together because we're not going to? We're free to learn how to walk. We're free to have the... And why are we free to do that? Because we have the righteousness of Christ. Even as we stumble along, even as we are learning how to do all these things, we have the righteousness of Christ. We're not going to be condemned. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think, secondly, what it frees us up to do, what this passage, and this, particularly Jesus in this last little bit here, frees us up, if it's all the work of the Lord, if he's the one that ultimately saves, then how does that free us up in our evangelism? If the Spirit of God is ultimately the one that changes the heart of man, 
and makes them born again, then we have nothing to lose in the telling. I don't have to be eloquent. My presentation doesn't have to be completely uh, logic-proof and, and just able to penetrate any argument. It doesn't have to be completely intelligent in its design. It doesn't have to be, like again, waterproof. It can just be me talking about my Savior, and he is the one that makes that, that work. He is the one that saves men. He is the one that changes their heart. And I love this picture here because you can imagine the terror around the campsite as these fiery serpents, whatever they looked like, were, were ravaging around the campsite, biting people, chasing everyone down, killing them. Then Moses lifts up this bronze serpent, and miraculously people are coming to life. Can you imagine finding a cure? And then just being like, all right, well, I'm going to go about my regular every day now. I'm going to go back into the house and watch the TV or something. No. You would be dragging people to the serpent so that they could see it. Look, just look at this, and you can be saved. Isn't this what evangelism is? And sure, I realize that it's difficult to get into those kinds of conversations because it's not talking about the weather. It's not talking about sports. It's not talking about things that people like to talk about for the first three minutes and then you move past one another. It's a conversation about faith. And faith bothers people. It bothered Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought he had it all together. Look at me, I'm perfect. He was probably going to Jesus thinking, I actually have one up on this guy, Jesus. But then he found out that no, he did not. Faith bothers people. But we need to talk about these things. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ is the only way. There's no other way. There's no other hope for people except for the name of Jesus. So in conclusion... I want to note that when Moses, just as Moses was lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Not only was he lifted up on the cross, as obviously this bronze serpent was a picture of the cross, and he was lifted up on the cross for the sins of his people. But what else? Was, how else was he lifted up? He was raised from the dead so that we might share in his victory over sin, his victory over the grave. And it didn't stop there. He was raised to sit at the right hand of the Father, where he now intercedes directly on our behalf, brothers and sisters. That's incredible. And he sends forth, what did he say before he left? I'm going to send for you a helper. He sends forth his spirit to be here with us, to live with us, to walk with us so that we might truly experience what it means to be born again. So Christian, remember, it's not you. Jesus alone did the work so that you might have salvation, so that you might be born again. So you are now free to stumble along. There is no condemnation. And we're free to hold hands as we stumble together. Thankfully, and we're free to live as we've been called to live. And we're also free to point other people to Jesus as he's been high and lifted up. 
so that the world might know and so that they might find salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us do that, that not only that we would be freed in and of ourselves to to walk and to stumble along, as it were, because we know that you're right there with us, and because of what you did for us, we face no condemnation, but we have your righteousness. But also, Lord, help us to be free to point other people to you, because you alone are the source of salvation. There is no other name by which man can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in that name that we pray these things. Amen. So let's stand together and sing our response to the word.